Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, make good on your loving kindness towards us in your mercy. For, O Lord, your mercy endures forever. Despise not the work of your own hands. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. Praise the Lord. A couple of things to begin with, my brothers and sisters. The first um, is that this is one of those Sundays where I'm in the pulpit again, then I will be gone this next Sunday with Archbishop Foley Beach uh, somewhere in Colorado near Buena Vista, uh, camping and backpacking. And so I'm really glad you all decided to hire an associate rector should I not be able to return, eaten by a bear or something. The vestry has made a wonderful decision, so vestry, I applaud you. The second is this, because I'll be out of the pulpit uh, next, this next week and, and the week after that, given a guest preacher, I get to kind of say whatever I want and then leave for Colorado. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, let me say this, my brothers and sisters. Many of us who are sitting in the pews this morning, many of us who are sitting even here on the chancel this morning, haven't prayed in a while. And there's shame, I know, associated with that. I've, I've talked to parishioners over the years who said, uh, Father, I have not, in fact, prayed in a long time, or my prayers feel empty. I don't know what to pray. And there's shame associated with that because we show up to worship, and then we get out into the real world, into our lives at home, and we don't, in fact, pray, or at least we don't pray as we ought to. Let me begin this sermon that is on prayer to say a couple things. The first is this. The shame that is associated with the guilt of not praying as you should is wiped away. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross has forgiven you and forgiven me of our sin. But Christians are called to pray. Christians are called to pray. Matter of fact, Part of being a Christian is to sit in prayer, to sit in silence, to contemplate what the Lord is doing in your life, to individually go into your closet or into your oratory or into the corner of the office where no one is around and just utter a quick prayer. Christians are to be, as St. Paul says, to pray without ceasing. And we fall short, every one of us, including your rector here, we fall short in prayer. But let me begin this morning by reminding you to recommit to prayer. And if you don't know what to pray at this moment in time, I want to point you to our Lord's prayer. Or as some translators call it, the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that the disciples uttered that the Lord himself taught to them. You know, it was St. Benedict of Nursa. St. Benedict who said, speaking of many of our liturgical prayers that we have as Anglicans, that the early church had and that many traditions today continue. St. Benedict had a, a simple prayer, and he said this, Would that our minds match our words. Would that our minds match our words. I want to um, invite each of you this morning. Some of you are visiting with us, and, and welcome, by the way. 
Some of you are longtime members of this parish. When we as Anglicans go through our liturgy, which is, in fact, a response to Jesus' offering of the disciples' question, his answering of their question teaches to pray. That's what liturgy is. It's instructing us in how to pray. When Father Daniel prayed these prayers up here, he is praying, but we are learning how to pray, what to ask for. And all of our liturgical prayers, of course, are based on Scripture. But would that our words that we speak, even this morning as we pray corporately and collectively, would that um, our mind and these words be matched up in our lives? One of my favorite novels, and I say this all the time, not to be pretentious, uh, but because it just, it is. It's The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. A wonderful, wonderful work, and he has, of course, many others. But there was this Orthodox priest named Tikhon of, um, uh, I'm going to mispronounce where he's from, uh, Zadonsk, Tikhon, he goes by. The Orthodox call him Saint Tikhon. He was a bishop of Moscow who came from much poverty but studied in seminary, became a priest and then a bishop. But he was a man that many men would go to to seek spiritual guidance and to, to listen and to hear what the Lord was going to say through him to them. And here's what Tikhon had to say about prayer. He said, As a bird without wings, as a soldier without arms, so is a Christian without prayer. Brothers and sisters, the spiritual battles of this life are real. And if you're not going through them yet, I know that you've been through them or that you and I will be going through them at some point soon. The devil is He's, he's um, roaming around, Peter says, like a lion, seeking whom he can destroy. We are called as Christians to resist him firm in the faith. And a part of that resistance is to be a man or a woman who is devoted to prayer. A man or a woman who is devoted to prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Follow along with me if you have a Bible in front of you. And if you don't, I know where to find one. There's one right in front of you, actually. Page 869. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, Luke begins. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke, throughout his gospel, lets us know that Jesus often went off alone to pray. He was often found alone in praying to his Father in heaven. Yes, setting an example for his disciples, for the holy apostles, to say, do as I do, go, and to meet the Father as I'm meeting him. But also our Lord was seeking communion, real intimate communion with the Father in those times of prayer to continue his mission in this life. You know, I'm reminded of when um, in Gethsemane, our Lord comes by Peter and he, and he says, look, pray so that you won't be tempted. Pray that you'll be able to withstand temptation. We're going to see that, man, Peter's probably remembering our Lord's prayer that he taught them at this point in time in our text. But our Lord was often found alone praying. It says, now when Jesus was praying in a certain place and was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. As I mentioned briefly in my introduction, our liturgy 
our liturgy on Sunday mornings, and matter of fact, our book of common prayer, which sets for us that Jewish rhythm of praying three times a day in the morning, at noon, and then in the evening, the liturgies we find in our book of common prayer are a response to this, this question, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives for them a prayer, how to pray. One of my favorite stories um, comes from seminary. I remember um, hearing someone tell this story. They were at seminary, so this was not me, I promise. This, was, this is not one of those stories that's like really about me and what I said. It's actually literally about someone else. And they were in seminary, and um, they were talking with a fellow seminarian about prayer. And the seminarian was going off, going off about how, you know, a lot of these liturgical churches, they have all these canned prayers, all these canned prayers all the time. They're just repeating and saying and reciting. And the man that was telling me this story said, I just looked over at him and I said, let us pray my favorite canned prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But St. Benedict's phrase, his prayer comes to mind. Would that our hearts match the words that we are saying. For I will tell you that the devil often infiltrates churches, just like CTK, we're not immune from this, infiltrates churches, individuals, clergy, with this distinction where we can all corporately recite the prayers together, but there is never a movement of the heart towards deeper communion with our Lord. The very reason that we are praying these prayers corporately as a congregation Our text goes on. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. The first thing you probably noticed when Deacon Zach, who I think is probably the best reader of Scripture in the entire parish, thank you for being such a great reader of of Scripture, Zach, and and Deacon Zach, and you give us that feeling, that tone of the text, you'll notice that this Lord's prayer is a bit different than the one we find in Matthew. This is much shorter. Though for, um, uh, for the sake of interpretation, we understand that most likely Matthew had the full totality of it, but Luke is reciting uh, what he can remember here. Father, hallowed be your name. What a prayer. To hallowed be uh, your name or hallowed be thy name is to say that the name of God is holy, is sanctified, is set apart. And brothers and sisters, uh, we shouldn't just pray through this and forget about the fact that when we pray, we're not praying to our best friend. We're not, we're not praying to someone who's on our level, as it were. We're praying to a holy God that is set apart, that holds our very lives in, in the palm of his hand. We're praying to that God, that God who is a father. Remember back to the Old Testament in ancient Israel. Israel was called Yahweh's son, for he was, in fact, their father. So we have this hallowed be thy name, this transcendent holy God that we pray to, but he is also our father. He is our father, and he is our father because you and I are grafted into Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. Jesus is our brother, therefore, God is, in fact, our father. And there's the intimate relationship the holy communion with God the Father that takes place because we are in Christ. So when we pray, brothers and sisters, when you utter a prayer, remember you are talking to the transcendent holy God who is set apart, but also the God who is intimate and who is involved in our life, who is in fact our Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And this this sanctity of God and this 
um, this imminence of God both drives how we pray and the feeling that we ought, of course, to have when we pray. Your kingdom come. Praying for God's kingdom to come here on earth. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. I've wondered quite often why our Lord would be teaching us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I think it's actually pretty simple. He's telling us that we pray to the Father, give us this day our daily bread, because in fact what this does, it is allows us to almost be forced into humility, that even the bread that comes to us on our table comes from God Almighty. Yes, you might work the job, or you might even bake the bread, as it were. Some of you, I know, make really, really good uh, sourdough uh, bread. Angie Olive, I'm not talking about you, by the way. Very good bread. But let me say this. Luther understood this passage here, give us this day our daily bread, to say that even the food that comes to our table was prepared by somebody else and was grown by somebody else somewhere else, and that the Lord was over the entire process that gets the food to your table. And what does that invoke within us when we pray this way? Lord, give us today what we need to live. It moves us into humility and then finally gratitude to God. You know, we live in an age where so much is given to us and we're able to buy and to have so much all the time that we forget that everything that is good to us, even the food that comes to us, is a blessing from God. I think one of the biggest sins in the church specifically is that we are no longer grateful to God for even the simple things that have been given to us. And then we see that we, in fact, are self-sufficient. We are the you know, masters of our own fate, and why, in fact, do we need God? So we're told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Brothers and sisters, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and our prayers in general ought to be guided by this understanding that we are to ask God for His forgiveness through Christ. Because in the act of confessing, or the act of rather asking for forgiveness, is in fact confessing that we are sinners in need of His forgiveness. But it doesn't just go there. We need forgiveness from God, our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we are promised. But we also must be moved to forgive others. And you see, when we pray, forgive us our sins, then we are compelled by the Spirit to move into then asking, Lord, whom should I ask forgiveness from? Lord, who should I forgive in this life? You see, that concept of forgiveness and absolution is a really important one that our Lord wants us to understand in this text and in the way that we pray. And lead us not into temptation. Not that God the Father just kind of, you know, leads us to be tempted to sin in our life. We are tested, of course. But Jesus himself prays, or asks, rather, St. Peter and others, the apostles sitting there in Gethsemane, to pray that they may not enter into temptation. Lord, help me in the time of temptation. And again, what does praying this way allow in our lives? It allows space for the Spirit to enter us and to remind us that we, in fact, are tempted in this life, but are called to holiness, are called to move away from the temptation and to resist it by the power of the Spirit. We see in this Lord's prayer that we're given 
all these motifs of, of how to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation. And Jesus said to them after the prayer, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Our Lord gives this negative example of a friend. This negative example of a friend. And in this example, we have a man who is asleep. And the, the old custom is that, you know, you would be sleeping basically on the floor in kind of a one-room uh, situation in the home. And the kids would often be sleeping with the parents and with the father. So if someone knocks on the door, it's going to wake up the kids because the dad's having to roll over the kids to get to the door to invite the person in or to chat with them. And our Lord says that actually even your close friend is not going to want to do that. He's only going to do it if because of your impotence you keep on knocking. That is, the word for impotence, I think, ought to be translated as like a, um, basically this, this boldness that makes everybody else uncomfortable. <laughs> A boldness that makes everyone uncomfortable. Our Lord says that's why this friend's going to get up. Not because he's good, but because you won't be quiet asking about this bread so that they won't be embarrassed in the hospitality. He gives this negative example. He says that even your good friend's not going to do it just out of pure love and hospitality, but only because you continue, you continue to beg and boldly kind of harass him. And we'll see that that's going to factor in to what we believe about God. Moving on, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My brothers and sisters, um, even a father in this life or a friend in this life who might be evil or who doesn't want to get up in the middle of the night and help a friend out, but yet they do it. Yet the friend gets up and gives the bread so the hospitality can be had. The father who is an evil father or not a loving father goes ahead and gives the son or the daughter something to eat and not, of course, a snake or a scorpion. If an evil father or friend will even do that, how much more will a good God, will your heavenly father, give you those things that you ask for? You see, brothers and sisters, I think that too often in the church, specifically in the world, but, or generally in the world, but specifically in the church, we have forgotten that God is, in fact, good in and of himself. And he does want to bless you. But he also wants to sanctify you, and sanctification is really hard. Receiving uh, love and goodness and kindness is, is rather easy sometimes. It's a good thing. 
And our Father in heaven wants to bless you, but he also wants to sanctify you. He wants to give you good things. And so when we pray, we pray to a God that we know is good and a God that we know is just. In our Old Testament reading, what did Abraham do? He knew that God was just, and he was going back to God saying, you're just. If not for 40, will you move it down to 10 at least, 10 righteous. Don't wipe out the righteous with the evil. Lord, you are just. Do what is right. I know you're going to do what is right, pleading with God to do that. And God, of course, ended up saving Lot, the one whom Abraham was really caring about, really, of course, wanted to be saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. We often read over this simple text where it gets, mis, uh, it gets misused or skewed, one that I'm sure many of you know from Bible school. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Brothers and sisters, um, do we ask God anymore? Do we ask him for anything And if we do ask him for anything, are we asking him for the things in line with the way that our Lord taught us to pray? Lord, give us today our daily bread. Father, forgive me of my sins. Help me to forgive others. Lead me, Father, not into temptation that I may resist by your Spirit. Pronouncing that God is holy and sanctified in our prayers. But are we asking? Are we asking for the right things? On this notion of asking, I would say that there's something wrong in churches today, and I think it's churches in the West. We are ashamed to ask others to pray for us. I see it. We're ashamed quite often to ask others to pray for us. We want to um, keep our lives to ourselves. We don't want to share with someone else so that they might, in fact, pray for us. And also, are we ready and willing to pray for others, to ask on behalf of others those things that are necessary and requisite for this life? Or is there too much shame involved? Brothers and sisters, ask. Ask God to give you things. Pray to Him. But also, I would say, ask other believers to pray for you. Seek, and you will find. Quite often, brothers and sisters, we are found seeking our own desires, our own wants, our own day-to-day life. We're seeking what we think is good. We are seeking really ourselves. But let us seek God through Christ. And it says, of course, that we will find Him and that He, of course, will find us. Knock and it will be opened to you. Well, what will be opened to you? Brothers and sisters, on this knocking, it will be open to you. I think that when we come in prayer, knocking, asking God to enter into our lives, He shapes our will to His. I think our prayers begin to sound more and more like what the Father would have us pray. Our hearts and His heart become one. We open the door and He enters in and comes in to us and teaches us what to ask, how to seek Him, And finally, that he will be open to us. Brothers and sisters, I want to close this morning with this. If you would, look look with me at verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We read over this too often, and I think we just, we imply that He's about to say, even if those who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give us all the good things that we want? I think we read that into the text. That's not what our Lord says. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So brothers and sisters, if it's been a while since you've prayed, if you feel shame in that, if you don't know how to pray, let me say first by start with praying the Lord's Prayer and pray it every day. And when you pray the Lord's Prayer, listen for what God would tell you. But secondly, let us not just ask for good gifts, but let us ask even more importantly for the Holy Spirit. Because you see, our Lord says we are to ask for the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will be given to you and to me. And we know that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and will sanctify us and will give us the great benefits that the Father who loves us has for you and for me. And finally, uh, brothers and sisters, as I say uh, every Sunday, and Father Daniel will say the same, you know, we have prayer ministers every Sunday, and they're ready to pray for you, for anything. Some of you I know this morning need prayer in your life for all sorts of things. First, individually pray to God, but have others pray for you. For so often in our church, brothers and sisters, the faith of others through the Spirit vicariously lifts up, lifts up, lifts up our hearts and our minds and helps us to better know what our Lord would desire for you and for me in this life. And also, as we have had and will have this month, this coming month in August, a service of healing prayer. Prayer is what Christians do. We pray to God. We pray for each other. We receive prayer from one another so that the Holy Spirit may, might reign heavy in our lives. And at the end of the day, you and I might be able to ask those things that God would have us to ask and receive them for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.